Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? <laughs> Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Let me get this straight. April 30th, 37 degrees outside. Rainy, foggy, genuinely crummy. Yes, I guess it's not snowing, but I tell you, the the winter from you know where just continues on and on and on. And I guess it's supposed to be a tad warmer and a tad drier coming up for the weekend, but still not not great at all. We will continue to slug through, though. So, Gru, I haven't seen you yet this morning. You see the Avengers last night? I did. Did you like it? I loved it. All right. Uh, Mrs. Gru, did she sit through the whole thing? She sat through the whole thing. She loved it, too. We both were crying at some points. It was a great movie. All right. I, I, I agree. We went. You went to the 7 o'clock show. I went to the 5 o'clock show. Same theater. Um, we, I, I enjoyed it as well. And my wife, who had not seen many of the movies before, we, we, I gave her a five minute primer before we, we went into the movie. Okay. This is kind of the, this is where it sort of picks up. And she enjoyed it. She was there for three hours. I, at one point in time, I said, are you bored? Do you want to leave? You know, what, whatever. She said, no, that she found it thoroughly enjoyable. And I don't think she was fibbing to me. So I guess the bottom line is, um, even if you haven't seen any of the other movies, as long as somebody just tells you where the movie picks up, there were a couple points in time she said, I'm not sure who that character was or whatever. Um, and now it actually motivated her to say, hey, I want to go back and see the backstory on some of these. Let's go Let's go watch the first Captain America movie or let's go watch the first Iron Man movie or, you know, how did Thor get that? It was interesting. So. You know, it, it was. I think I've got a new convert to the Marvel universe. But the bottom line is, we had a very, very good time. This is a movie that is breaking all box office records, and it, you know, might be on a way of. We're going to talk about this in the two o'clock hour. Maybe even revitalizing the, the theater industry to an extent. Um, we will talk about whether that happens. All right. Before that, lots and lots of serious stuff. We did not spend much, if any, time yesterday talking about the, the horrible synagogue shooting that happened outside of San Diego over the weekend by this 19-year-old crazy, just just crazy guy who, who says that he was motivated by the, the shootings in, in Christchurch that occurred, you know, a month ago or so. And, and this is, it is the latest in the string of, of violence that is perpetrated well, just in the name of hate, there, there's no way you, you can explain this other than that. You have this guy who walks into a synagogue. You've had other people that walk into a mosque. Unfortunately, this is not a, a new thing. I mean, think back a few years ago, we had the guy that was doing the shooting at the Brookfield Church. I mean, this there are just crazy people out there who act out on their impulses. And, and those impulses are fueled from a number of places. I mean, in general... You talk about the Internet, and the Internet is, is wonderful for all sorts of things. But unfortunately, it's also kind of given a voice 
to some of the, the, the really dark, depraved elements of our society, and they go into the dark Internet, and they, they bounce their crazy ideas and their stupid manifestos off of other people, and then they go out and they act on it. And then you have rational, sane people who are always trying to explain what is essentially unexplainable. I mean, you, you've got psychotics who are motivated by hate. They are sociopaths. And the fact of the matter is, if you walk into a church or a mosque or a synagogue, synagogue or a department store or a convenience store and you start shooting it up you are a psychopath and i think it's something that all the rest of us just just simply can't understand because you can't imagine how somebody would do that but nevertheless we, we try to we try to place blame we try to figure out okay what was really going on who is responsible for this nut who walks into the synagogue and starts shooting and maybe it makes us more comfortable if we can try to find other people to blame beyond the psychopath themselves. Well, into this wades a couple of political commentators. Joy Behar, who is, of course, the, the very, very left-wing co-host and controversial co-host on The View, she wades in yesterday, and she, of course, she's got her theory as to who ultimately holds at least some responsibility for the shooting over the weekend. That person, well, here's what she says. I want to say something about Trump. Last week, Biden introduced a video where he brought up Charlottesville. We all saw that. It was done very well. It reminded me we're losing the soul of America. She continues, "Um, take responsibility for your actions, Mr. President. You are the culprit. Donald Trump defends Charlottesville. He says that these people were historians. They were more interested in Robert E. Lee than the fact that they were saying Jews will not replace us. They were just historians. Then on Saturday morning, in the morning, this assault on the synagogue. Then Saturday afternoon, our hearts are with the victims. He talks out of both sides of his mouth. He's provocative. He gives dog whistles constantly to these people. Dog whistles being, of course... You know, the whistle is something that only the dog could hear. The argument is it's a coded sort of message that only the neo-Nazis can hear. Anyhow, she says he's provocative. He gives dog whistles constantly to these people. Then Kellyanne goes out there and defends him and says, no, no, no. And he is like, no, no, no. Take responsibility for your actions, Mr. President. You are the culprit. Joe Scarborough on MSNBC, he says yesterday, The blood that is spilled is on Trump's hands. He is the one who is responsible for inciting these attacks. We are so beyond dog whistles here, Donald. We are so far beyond dog whistles. The blood, the blood that is spilled is on your hands. From white nationalists, from people who listen to that sort of rhetoric, any violence to journalists, the blood that is spilled is on your hands. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that many of us, perhaps most of us, hopefully maybe even almost all of us, are extremely frustrated and aggravated by the the ongoing trend of violence in this community, in this country, whether it's attacks on synagogues, whether it's folks renting a, a guy renting a room at the Mandalay Bay and shooting out indiscriminately into a crowd in Las Vegas. You name it. We are all, I think, frustrated, disturbed by it. And I think one of the things that's the most frustrating is that we we don't know what to do about it because it keeps going on and on and on. 
And, and yeah, some people say, well, you should confiscate all the guns. I don't think that's going to happen. Other people say, well, you know, we need to dial down the rhetoric and all that type of stuff. All right, here, here is the question that I want to discuss with you. Is it fair to say every time one of these nut jobs walks into a place of worship, is it fair to say, okay, the president is the culprit for this and the blood is on his hands? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And let me be real clear here. I have all sorts of issues with the rhetoric from President Trump. I, I wish I've been saying this for years. I wish he'd knock off the, the tweets. I wish he'd be more presidential. I'd wish he'd be, uh, I wish he would be less confrontational and less antagonistic. But uh, candidly, I feel the same way about a lot of commentators on the left. But let's tee this up. Is blood on the hands of the president? Is he indirectly responsible for what happened outside of San Diego on Saturday and what unfortunately happens on a regular basis when it comes to violence in this country? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Look, I I understand that when when you see one of these senseless shootings, which happen all too often in the world nowadays, there's really this tendency to want to point fingers and a lay of blame and things like that. And, of course, you had Joy Behar, who's one of the liberal commentators on The View yesterday. She essentially said the blood is on the president's hands. And uh, Joe Scarborough Scarborough on MSNBC essentially said the same thing. Is that a fair commentary? Here's a text. Unfortunately, I watched the episode yesterday while waiting for an oil change. It's embarrassing that everything is Trump's fault. Newt Gingrich asked her how he could be an anti-Semite, considering his son-in-law and grandchild is Jewish, let alone how much he reaches out to help Israel. She completely dismissed him and just continued bashing the president is. 414-799-1. 620. Another text. He is not causing, but he is certainly not helping. Well, oh, oh, okay. That's why, again, I wish people on both sides would dial down the rhetoric. I don't think it helps. But at the same time, this idea that you've got some crazy white supremacist that's out there, this 19-year-old kid with his manifesto who identifies with terrorists, that to say that, okay, it's the president that's responsible for that? Well, I don't think so. Let's talk to John in Brookfield. John, you're on WTMJ. Hey, there. I appreciate you taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I think, simply put, you can't directly blame another individual, in this case the president, for someone's decision to pick up a weapon and harm someone. Mm-hmm. However, um, I think, and I didn't see the segments that are being discussed here, but just from a general standpoint, I think it's reasonable to make the argument that maybe the commentator's point isn't literal. It's metaphorical, referring to you know some of the negative rhetoric and potentially inflaming a neo-Nazi base that the president, you know, may or may not have been doing. So it's not, I don't think it's a fair point, um, but I'm not saying it's without, you know, potential validity. Well, which is why, why I say that I would like to see people on all sides of the aisle dial down the, the rhetoric, you know, and, and you, you see that on, on, on both sides because there are, 
you know, there there are crazy people that are out there that, you know, look at things. And I, I acknowledge this. There's crazy people out there that see what they want to see and hear what they want to hear. And then that gives them some justification. There's nothing tying this particular shooter to yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. But I but obviously it's a disturbed it's a disturbed guy. It's a psychopath. And, and nobody should be fueling that type of, you know, Correct. we shouldn't be giving that ammunition to him. Well, thanks. Okay. God. I, no. And I mean, I'm oh, sorry. I didn't mean to hit the button on you. Yeah, but yeah, that's I mean, so I, I, I get it. That's why I think it's best for everybody to dial down the rhetoric. Now, having said that, I, I think that when you have the Joy Behars and the Joe Scarboroughs of the world, they're, they're doing exactly the opposite of that. Now, I understand they're political commentators and they're trying for ratings and it's things like that, but, but I mean, they're doing the same thing, essentially, that they accuse Trump of doing. They are feeding the hatred of the, the left, the people who, who don't like Donald Trump, who believe that he's unfit for office and look this is this is what's happening because people are are taking his words and they're seeing this do i think president trump mishandled the whole charlottesville thing uh yeah there's no question uh, about it but at the same time to say okay that's now the justification for every crazy person who decides that they're they, they want to go into a place of worship, whatever that place of worship might be, and commit a crime? I think is a gross, gross overstatement, and it it detracts us from what I think we really need to be concentrating on, which is how do how do we identify these people, and, and what do we do to stop them before they end up acting out? Because mark my words. I mean, Donald Trump's going to be out of office in two years, or Donald Trump's going to be out of office in six years. That's just the reality. But the truth of the matter is, people who act out in this violent fashion because of their hate, they're, they're going to be around. They were around before Donald Trump, and they were, they'll be around, unfortunately, after Donald Trump. And we got to figure out how we're going to stop them, how we're going to work on preventing them from being able to act out on their bizarre hatred. That's the constructive conversation I think we have to have. Dan in New Berlin. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to say that it's President Trump's fault. Uh, that's, that's silly. But he certainly is not helping the situation. Um, and, and I think we can all agree he, he seems to think that he wins by dividing people. So again, he's not. No, blood is not on his hands. He did not put the gun in the synagogue shooter's right. hands. But you know, and we don't know what the synagogue shooter, a nineteen-year-old kid, what, what he heard and what he thinks. But he's not helping. And as far as Joy Behar and, and Joe Scarborough, well, don't watch them. Number one, and secondly, they're not the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I understand, but at the same time, if if the premise is going to be that there are that there are crazy people out there that there are sociopaths out there looking for some justification for committing their their acts i mean is, is it responsible then for anybody to be going on television and i understand they're not the president of the united states but that the commentators that are preaching their own form of of divisiveness does that help the situation well, absolutely not i mean yeah. obviously both sides there's two sides to blame so um, yeah, and that's my so only I'm point. Agree. And I see, and I'm so with I, you. I, I wish I wish the president would dial this stuff down. And I, sure. I, I think his inability 
his inability to acknowledge that he handled stuff wrong, like like the Charlottesville thing. His first statement I thought was completely inappropriate. Then I think he did okay, and then you know it kind of went off the rails again. I, I I wish he was more thoughtful in what he would say. I guess is right. the best I, way I could put it. I really, I really, I think President Trump though, when he hears Joy Behar and Joy Joe Scarborough, he is, thinks he's winning by hearing those comments from those people. Yeah. That's what. That's how twisted this is. Well, no, you're right because I mean he's portrayed it, it kind of this us versus them sort of thing, and the folks that are you're right, the folks that are his most dedicated supporters, they they don't want him to give in an inch. You know, they they love the fact that he he stands up and doesn't take any guff from those folks. No, thank, thanks for calling. No, I mean, and I understand that's. That's where politics has gotten in 2019, that we have gotten so very, very tribal that it's it's not a question of trying to work together and find, you know, reasonable policy alternatives. It's that you, you have to destroy the other side. And that's that's what you see from the left. And it's what you see from the, the right. And I guess I, I whenever I see these types of things and, and you try to explain what went on. I, I think we, we we lose sight of the fact that there's just crazy people that are in society. You know, is it you, you look back, you know, we, we've, I still remember when the Columbine shooting first happened and everybody was trying to figure out, you know, why did these kids go so terribly wrong? And was it the video games and was it the music? Well, maybe it was just a couple, you know, disturbed killers that, that were out there. And they were going to act out regardless, and it's not the video games, and it's not whatever they heard from a politician, and it's not what they saw in the evening news. Maybe it's just, you know, the way they were. So, I mean, the bottom line of this is it is, it is very depressing, and I understand that we're all very frustrated, and we're angry, and in some cases we're scared. I was talking to some people the other day who said, you know, they now start to, before they go into their places of worship, you know, that they're consciously thinking about, okay, well, what's the, what's the plan if somebody comes in and, and starts shooting? What are we going to do? You shouldn't have to think about those things when you walk into a church or a mosque or a synagogue, but yet now people are. I just don't think it's Donald Trump's fault. And I don't think it's the fault of the commentators on MSNBC, but maybe if we work more for solutions and point fingers less, it gets us closer. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, I'm looking at the forecast for the next 24 hours, and it's really just, it's dreadful. I mean, it's 40 degrees and and rain. Now, not... Not all the time heavy driving rain, but just just constant rain for the next 24 hours or so. Well, at least it comes on the heels of a really nice early spring. Oh, wait. No, we didn't get that either. All right. And it's already May. Go figure. Okay. Here's the deal. If you ever watch the TV show Mad Men, which was set in New York Advertising Agency in the 1960s, and you saw the way that people interacted together, particularly men and women interacted together in the office, you'd think, boy, did they did they really do that, where the guys chased the, the advertising executives, chased the secretaries, the female secretaries around the office? And I guess, not having been there at the time, but my, my guess is, yes, things have evolved, they have changed, Companies are much more aware of issues like sexual harassment in the workplace and stuff. But there's no question. I think a lot of companies still have a a ways to go. It's also made a little bit more difficult by the fact that um, you have workplaces, which is frequently the places where, where men and women meet each other. It's tough to find. I am told it's tough to, to meet 
people and you know the workplace is one of the the ways you do it and office romances do develop sometimes they work out sometimes not so much so but you know you've you've got that whole issue that's out there meanwhile companies are scared as heck that they're going to be sued for allowing hostile workplaces to develop so here's the current trend and i found this interesting there's a new survey that was taken by a place called total jobs and, and they talked to people at work, and the question was, would you like to have all physical contact banned at work? All physical contact. So not the, the inappropriate touching, you know, not the casting couch, but all physical contact banned at work. In other words, it would be a violation of workplace rules to, you know, have any sort of obviously intentional contact with, you know, one of your, your workmates, your teammates. The idea behind this is to remove confusion over what kind of touch is appropriate. You, know, you don't want to get into the hassle of saying, well, he came up and, you know, he, he put his arm, you know, around my, he put my arm on my shoulder. I was telling him about how I was upset or whatever. I thought that was inappropriate. You know, the whole thing with the Joe Biden, you know, we don't want to get into that. We just want to say that nothing is, no touching is appropriate. And so three out of four people say they would like that. What that essentially means is if you say no physical contact in the workplace, that means no intentional physical contact. It means no handshakes. It means, hey, you know, when the boss, you know, is walking through the department and, and comes up and, you know, you're at your cube and you haven't seen the boss for, you know, a couple of weeks and stuff. And he says, you know, hi, Jeff, how are you doing? That means, you know, you, you don't shake hands. It means you don't do the fist bumps. It means no physical contact at all. When you go into your boss for that yearly performance review or whatever, and you walk into the office and, you know, he maybe he extends his hand or she extends his hand. You know, hi, Jeff, you you would not be allowed to do that. No handshakes, no contact at all. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that inappropriate touching doesn't belong in the workplace. I get that. I also understand that sometimes there can be confusion over what is inappropriate. And all right, so let's say you, you go to shake hands with somebody and you go to shake hands with a member of the opposite sex. And then, you know, instead of just using your right hand, you put, you know, your left hand on that. Is that inappropriate? Is that too intimate, etc.? So I understand that sometimes there can be intentional violations of this. Sometimes it can be inadvertent. But in 2019, are we really at a place where you want to say no physical contact with coworkers at all? 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is a complete and total overreaction. The bottom line is human interaction with the people you're working with, etc. I, I think that I think some physical contact is clearly appropriate. You've just made that big sale. Something really good has come down. I think you should be able, if the person, you want to give your coworker a high five, I think you should be able to do that and not worry that there is some sort of issue. And for the person that doesn't know what the limits are, well, okay, then you deal with that person. 
I don't think I've ever, I don't want to work in a workplace where, okay, you can't have any physical touching at all, no high fives, no handshakes, no pats on the back, no nothing. Do you want to work in that type of place? 414-799-1620. The survey result says apparently three out of four people in offices, that's what they'd like, a rule that has no physical contact at all. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm the outlier here, but I really don't think so. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We're back. Carol in Milwaukee. Carol, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay, the rule would be no touching in the workplace at all. No physical contact. Well, I guess we might as well be robots. (laughs) Well, I I think it's absurd. You can't even show compassion or concern anymore. Well, no, that 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 would be it. So, if and, and of course, this wouldn't just be male female. This would be male male and female female. So, well, if you know yeah. somebody in there, somebody in the break room says, "Gee, um, my 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 spouse just got a diagnosis. He's got cancer, or she's got cancer, or whatever." Yeah. You know, you you couldn't you couldn't take their hand. You couldn't console them. Couldn't do any of that because well, yeah. it's pathetic. I think. Well, it, it is. Now, thanks to Colin. Look, and I, I understand. All right. Every place I have ever worked in my adult life has had an employee handbook, and the employee handbook has said, you know, no inappropriate contact, no inappropriate touching. Everybody understands that. I understand also that sometimes there's some gray area. First of all, I, I get sometimes that there's people who want to push that. But at the same time, I also understand that there's, there's some, there's some gray areas. Gee, I, you know, I, I put my hand on his shoulder. I put my arm around his shoulder. I didn't mean that to be, I'm just a toucher. I'm, I'm, you know, I didn't mean it to be that way. That would, would be the argument is. I'm not a toucher myself. But, um, but and some people say, well, I interpret it in a different way. And then you kind of get into that, that gray area that's there. But at the same time, I don't know. I think, the human contact is what's part of makes us human. Hey, really good show. High five. Hey, congratulations. You know, you, you're, I understand that you got, you and your wife are pregnant. Great. Here, let me shake your hand. Oh, super. You did a super job on that project. Here, let's shake hands. Do we really want to be in a point where you can't do that? And yet that's what these companies are considering. Grant in Waterford. Grant, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Grant. I'm, I'm considered a, a relatively hands-on kind of person and i i think that a lot of people appreciate that that and you surprise people and make their day when you give them a high five or mm-hmm. or, or even that you know a, a, a hug and i think that if you take that away it, that's you know that that's ruining it for everybody else by making a decision based on uh, well, the wrong action the wrongful actions of you well, know, well right doing things Right. And if there, if there is, if there is that, that guy in the office or that gal in the office who's too touchy or too grabby, well, I mean, then that's where you whistle that person in and you tell them, hey, you, you have to, people are uncomfortable about this and you have to knock it off or you have to dial it back. And I understand all that. And I'm, I, I'm, and I'd be 100% in favor of it. But, you know, don't tell me that if my producer comes in and he's got some really good news or something, I, I can't, shake his hand or i can't give him a high five to celebrate some of his success that's that's we're, we're people even when we're at work and and the important part is just that it, you have the opportunity to make people's day or, or or make people feel 
better about whatever their situation is. Right. And it's it's all part of it. So. Yeah, it is. No, thanks. For, I mean, this is it's just and this is what happens when when you go over the deep end on stuff. You sit there and you say, all right. Um, do, do you have an issue? Is there occasionally situations in the workplace where you get that particular, that one person who's, you know, too grabby or too handsy and all sorts of people are uncomfortable with them? Yeah, I'm sure there is that person there. And yes, you want to deal with that person. Okay, I understand. You shouldn't, you know, if, if you're, let's take the most common example, if you're a female in the workplace, you shouldn't have to be put up, you shouldn't have to put up with, you know, one of your coworkers or your boss, you know, kind Constantly grabbing you in ways that make you feel uncomfortable. Of course, nobody's arguing for that. But can't you deal with that situation without saying to everybody, you know, no handshakes in the workplace? And interestingly enough, you know, the world still does run on fist bumps and handshakes. One of our texters makes this point. How... How are you going to do business if you have that that role? I mean, the I don't know. The client comes out to the office and you're going to greet him. And what are you supposed to say? Well, normally, sir, I shake your hand. Except I'm not allowed to do that because you know we're in the office situation and they say no touching. Now I don't think we're that far yet, but I continue to be surprised. This is Jeff Wagner. What? Well, they certainly have the right. I I think you know a lot of times what people say is legal or what they have a right to do may not necessarily be the most ethical route. I mean, the most ethical route is to share the fortune, in my opinion. Yeah, well, fair I mean, enough. I mean, uh, fair enough. Barbara. I mean, I guess, I might, my, okay, my question would be, now, Avengers is making a ton of money. I guess my question would then be, if in the next year... What ends up happening is, let's say they have a they have several bombs of films and their, their earnings aren't anywhere close to what they are. Do they then go and do they take money away from the employees? Now, look, I guess I, I mean, here's here's what Sanders's tweet said, and I'm quoted exactly. What would be truly heroic is if Disney used its profits from Avengers to pay all of its workers a middle class wage instead of paying its CEO, Bob Iger, $65.6 million, over 1,400 times as much as the average worker at Disney makes. Now, if Bernie Sanders didn't want to put the two of them together, if he wanted to say, well, you know, I, I think Disney has an obligation to pay more than $15 an, an hour for people who start at Disney World. I, I'd like them to pay 25 or 30 Okay, well, you know, that that's... That's fine. I'm not sure what it's Bernie Sanders' role to tell an American business, you know, what the value of an employee's worth is. But that's fine. But that's not what he did. He decided that I'm also going to throw in this class warfare and I'm going to lump it in and I'm going to point out that that CEO is making $65.6 million. And we all hate those rich you-know-whats who couldn't possibly be worth any of that money. So here, let, let's link these two of them together. Power to the people. Take the money from the rich CEO. And, and let's distribute it to the people. And and that's, I guess, where I have the issue. But my also question would be, why, why stop at the CEO? Interestingly, Variety Magazine, today, Variety Newspaper, which is the, you know, the thing from, from Hollywood, they had a list today of how much some movie stars are making for their current or their next picture. So this is, this is one movie that they're being paid for. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, you know, from wrestling, he's got, uh, he's starring in the, the new Fast and Furious one. I saw a preview of that last night. He's getting $20 million. Robert Downey Jr., um, he's got a movie called The Voyage of Dr. Doolittle. Anytime you hear Dr. Doolittle, you know the movie's going to suck. It just, it just is. He's getting $20 million. Well, it's true. I mean, 
get, name a Dr. Doolittle movie that hasn't sucked. I mean, I, it's just, um, he's getting 20 million. Ryan Reynolds, the guy from Green Lantern and then uh, Deadpool, he's getting 27 million dollars for his next movie. Will Smith, he's getting 17 million. Brad Pitt, ooh. Brad Pitt, he's falling on hard times. He's in the new Quentin Tarantino movie that's coming out. He's getting ten million. Leonardo DiCaprio, he's got he's in the new Quentin Tarantino movie. He's got ten million. Gail um, Gal Gadot, she's Wonder Woman, who's very very good. She's got the new Wonder Woman movie is coming out June of next year. She's getting ten million. I mean, I guess. Uh, you, you know, you can at least Bob Iger. Well, you know, he's been a success. We don't know if any of these other movies are going to be a success. You know, why? Why aren't we singling them out, too? If people are making too much money, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. getting 20 some million dollars to be the next Dr. Doolittle. Huh. You know what? Why aren't we picking on those people as well and saying that they're making too much money? Bottom line is making money is not bad. I mean, as long as you're doing it ethically and you're doing it legally, it's something people should aspire to. And it's one measure of success. And I don't think that people should be embarrassed that they have been successful financially. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Listener tells me the Kentucky Derby post positions are now out, so some of my spare time, I'll have to study that. And like I say, I, I will, if I can get it done by Friday, Friday at 2 o'clock, we're going to have the my, my friend Paul, who runs the Potawatomi Racebook, and has been in the industry for decades and decades and decades. Don't mean to make, make him sound old, but he knows everything there is to know about both dog racing and thoroughbred racing and harness racing and We'll, we'll ask Paul to go on record about his picks in the Kentucky Derby. If I can get mine done by then, I'll do it as well. And uh, then my advice to you is find out the horses I like. Go the other way. Chances are you might be uh, able to cash some tickets. Kentucky Derby is this Saturday. And that's the day that, I mean, it's one of those, it's one of those days. It's kind of like people that run fireworks stands. They, you know, you, they, they make all their money. In the week, the two weeks leading up to the 4th of July and right before New Year's Eve. If you talk to people who run fireworks stands, you know, they make almost no money the rest of the year, but they pay their rent on New Year's and the 4th of July. At a lot of race books and at a lot of race tracks, it's kind of the same thing. There's most days, you know, you got a handful of the regulars that'll be there, but Kentucky Derby Day, everybody and their brother decides that they want to place a bet on the Kentucky Derby. And it's very cool and it's exciting and it's good for the industry. Okay. During the break, reached into my pocket, I pulled out a dollar bill, and I was looking at the dollar bill, and on the face of the dollar bill is George Washington. If you do that exercise, well, just remember this, because five years from now, ten years from now, if some people get their way, George Washington may no longer be honored. Let me tell you the example. This is the story. San Francisco, there is a huge mural that has been on display at a local school in San Francisco since 1936. Uh, the mural is called The Life of Washington, and it was actually done during you know the, the New Deal. Franklin Roosevelt, this was a project of the Works Progress Administration, and it's this huge mural that depicts George Washington's life and times. Um, the the scenes and there's very various scenes that are in there. Um, some show Washington in war and peace. Um, some 
show slaves working in Washington's field. And then there's one where you've got the president pointing westward and there's a body of a slain Native American. Okay, but it's it's all it's all these different things. It's this giant mural. It's been there for, you know, eighty three years. Nobody up until recently has complained about it. The president of the San Francisco Board of Education says this has to come down. We, we've got to get rid of it. The artwork is offensive. It is dehum- dehumanizing. It is insulting to Native Americans and to blacks. In February, a school board committee concluded that the art glorifies slavery, genocide, colonization, manifest destiny, white supremacy, oppression, etc., and traumatizes students. Now, there's no evidence that a single person has been traumatized in the 83 years that the mural is up there. But today in our kind of social justice society, there are some people that are offended by this. Um, the one of the people who you know painted the, the mural was apparently a, a communist, and and he said that you know these images weren't put up there to glorify Washington, but rather to provoke a nuanced evaluation of his legacy. But the idea being, you've got this mural that's there, and it also recognizes George Washington. And by the way, don't you remember that George Washington? was, in fact, a man who owned and or supervised the ownership of slaves, and he was a guy who believed in manifest destiny, which we now know was accomplished by the, you know, by white people moving westward and traumatizing and, in some cases, eradicating um, indigenous tribes. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, we've seen this desire to sanitize history in many, many respects. But now it is the father of the country, George Washington, who is being targeted with this. All right. Washington was a slave owner. Washington favored westward expansion, even though that did not work out well for Native American tribes. Is it time to extinguish George Washington's legacy from society in 2019? Can we recognize him on murals in San Francisco should we be recognizing on dollar bills everywhere? 414-799-1620. Is it time once and for all to say, George Washington, you were a slave owner. We don't want anything more to do with you. My answer would be no, but I'm curious as to where people come down on this. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Sharon in Waukesha. Hi, Sharon. Hello. Hello. What do you think? Oh, um, yeah. I'm thinking that I don't think that we should eradicate all of George Washington's um, things out there. I mean, he was, yeah, the father of the country and all that. But I do think, though, that, and I don't, I haven't seen this mural, mm-hmm. but if it, if it depicts... Um, the American Indians in a derogatory way, I think, yeah, it, that's fair that it should be taken down. Well, I mean, what, what it depicts is it, it's, it's a series of, of paintings. So it's a big mural. One of the paintings, and, and Washington was a landowner, and Washington had slaves. His family had slaves. And one of the pictures is George Washington, like, overseeing his estate, and there's there's uh, slaves 
black people working in the field. So that's one. And the other one is he's apparently looking west, and there's a, a, a dead body of a Native American that's depicted there. I mean, those, those are the those are the two things, and they're I guess historically accurate because he was in fact a slave owner. And I think the looking west was kind of like manifest destiny. We're, we're moving forward, but I guess. Who gets to decide if those pictures are derogatory or not? Well, as a Native American, I would say that, you know, since history has always um, has been, you know, given to our students and all of us incorrectly about Native Americans, I think that, you know, we're, we're a group that, that, certainly is is limited representation of of what we feel is derogatory mm-hmm. for our group mm-hmm. does does the does the part of the mural about the slaves depicting the slaves does that bother you um i yeah in a way it does in, in a way it does um okay. if it would i guess my my thing is if it you know, like in museums and, and mm-hmm. places like that, we certainly um, have, rep, you know, pictures of slaves mm-hmm. because we want to, you know, show people what did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just know that, you know, when, when American Indians are, are depicted in anything, it's always, you know, it, it wasn't their, their bloody fault that, no, no. Okay, I, I get. Let's well, see. I mean, here, here's the thing, Sharon. I mean, I matter of fact, the, that that nuance. Now, the, uh, right, the, the 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 painting, the part of the mural that has the American Indian in it, the Native American who, who's dead. Actually, there, there's a lot of people that that think that this is that this was kind of a, a really a criticism of Washington because he's looking west. It's manifest destiny. We're going to move out, and that the uh, that the the point of the artist was. Okay, this came at the expense of Native Americans. So I, I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily. Is it is it a dead Native American? Yes. Is necessarily is that a derogatory depiction, or or might this just be the artist who, who's trying to make their own kind of political statement that this is the cost of manifest destiny? I mean, I don't know one way or the other. But I, I guess the, the mural's been up since 1936. Nobody, nobody has been traumatized. They say, oh, kids are traumatized by looking at this. I mean, really, you're going to be traumatized by looking at a painting of Washington supervising slaves in the field in the 1700s? I mean, where do we draw the line? Do we now go through the the National Museum of Art, you know, in Washington? And do we look at all the paintings from that time? And do we say, okay, well, this one depicts slavery. Boom, we're going to pull this. This one uh, has a negative depiction of an American Indian. Boom, we're going to pull this. I mean, where... I guess where do you draw the line on these things? And I mean, I I understand if we were talking about a mural that celebrated the Ku Klux Klan, I get it. All right, I, I get it, and I think people would have gotten it fifty, sixty, seventy years ago. But that's not what this is. I don't think four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Mark in Heartland. Hi, Mark. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, again, a, a great topic, and I I'm just wondering, like I told you, screener, why do we fluff around the edges here why don't we just get to what the people want that are trying to lay this huge guilt trip on the american way of life american history american society american heroes um 
Is it because we're successful? Is it because they want to lay some kind of a guilt trip on us that we have to distribute our way of life across the entire world, which it seems to me it might be? What is this recent assault on the American way of life, and why do we have to put up with it? Well, that's, I mean, thanks for calling that. I mean, see, that, I guess that's the interesting thing. It's the idea of sanitizing history as opposed to learning from, from history. I mean, no, look, nobody, I, I, you know, I have a text here that makes an interesting point. Should we wipe out the pyramids because the Egyptians were slave owners? You know, when, when does this end? You, you can't change history. Now, I mean, I guess George Washington was a product of his times. Nobody actually, as as his life evolved, he became more and more anti-slave. But there's no question he, he owned slaves at the time. Th- does that mean that we cannot recognize him? And do we have to then eliminate all sorts of references to to the to the horror that was in fact slavery? And if you do that, where does that leave American history? If you take that chunk out, I guess I just to me I'd lump this all in with the, the whole idea of book burning and you know we're the people are going to be trying. I mean, seriously, you're going to be traumatized looking at a mural that shows George Washington in the 1700s looking out over his field and that it shows people that are working in the field, some of whom may be slaves. Okay, that that's going to traumatize you in, in 2019? Well, all right, maybe you need to deal with that because there's all sorts of elements of history that are going to ultimately end up being traumatic. I mean, do we need to have the bubble wrap for things? I mean, how do you deal with the whole question of when, when FDR interned, uh, you know, we, we had the internment of, of Japanese Americans during World War II. I mean, something that I don't think anybody would be proud of at all. Does that mean that we've got to get rid of any reference to FDR? I mean, where does this stop? Let's talk to Jeff in Sheboygan. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Uh, I'm thinking that this sanitation of our American history has gone way too far. Uh, we've been... I mean, People seem to forget that the very first slaves in America were Irish. You know, they weren't even black. You know, uh, just lumping it all into one race or two races is really ridiculous. And like you said, nobody's been hurt. Uh, the sanitation of our American history is ridiculous. Well, right, we I'm, I'm struck learn. by this word traumatized. And I, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, if, if you're looking at a, a mural or you're looking at a, at a painting and it depicts something from 200, you know, 300 years ago and, and you're, you're traumatized by, by that painting, well, you, you've got much bigger issues than that painting. I mean, it, it, you know, I'm, I agree 100%. You know, thanks. For, well, no, I mean, it's just, I don't know how else to, to say that. But, I mean, if that's the reaction, and it's interesting because the head of the Board of Education there, I mean, nobody apparently has complained. Now, now that you raise this as an issue, again, you're going to have all these social justice work- warriors who are going to be up there saying, well, we've got to get rid of this. We have to, and, and my question is, I mean, where does this stop? You have seen this before, and, and we, this has been playing out over the last couple of years in in statues that are coming down and references, oh, we we can't have anything named after Robert E. Lee. We can't honor Stonewall Jackson. We can't have anybody you know who fought for the Confederacy. Don't you understand? They were promoting racism and all that stuff. Well, see now it, it's spreading. Now, okay, we're, we're not we're past the Civil War. 
Now we're looking at the founding fathers and we're saying, okay, you know, what did they do? And let's judge them in 2019. Let's judge, you know, what they will apply 2019 standards to whatever they did in 1776 or 1780 or whatever. It's a dangerous trend to go down. And I guess, I mean, where does it stop? If George Washington, if we can't have a mural because George Washington was a slave owner and this is offensive, all right, well, where does it stop? Do you take him off the dollar bills? Do we rename Washington, D.C.? How in the world could we honor him at? Do we get rid of the George Washington Bridge? Do we get rid of all the George Washington high schools and middle schools and elementary schools across the country because we don't want people to be traumatized? Where do you draw the line once you go down this route? This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Tony, you pan- you in the, the group of people who are panicked about the Bucks and, oh, this is just terrible, and how could they lose by 22 points? Not yet. Not, no. Too early to push the panic button. Well, absolutely. And when you, when you, okay, they lost game one, but at the end of the day, it's sort of like the electoral college and the popular vote. Well, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. That doesn't make any difference. It's, you know, it's who won the electoral college. Okay, they lost by 22 points. They had a stinker of a game, yep. but it, it's a game. doesn't make any difference, really, whether they lost by 22 points or two points on a buzzer beater. I mean, Absolutely. They, they had a bad game. We all have bad games. Some days, what's my phrase? Some days you eat the bear. Some days the bear eats you. The Bucks were bear chow on Sunday. Okay, that's just the bottom line. But they got a good team, and now I, I do think it's important for them to play well today. Because if you lose both games at home, statistically your chances of coming back and you know winning four out of the you know next five games, it's not great. But but they're a good team. Relax, right? You're with I me agree. on that yeah. one. Seven game series. It, we'll talk a little bit different after tonight. Right. Well, you know, again, they've, they've got to play well, and they had a bad game. But everybody has bad games from time to time. No need to panic on that. And, again, you can hear the full coverage of the Bucks game on WTMJ. And I'm going to the Brewers game tonight, taking my nephew and uh, my wife's grandson. We're going to go have a lot of fun at the Brewers game and stuff. But we'll be checking in on the uh, basketball game as well. All right. I'm about to go where some angels fear to tread, and I'm about to say something that some of you might find offensive, and if it is the case, I apologize in advance, but it's how I see it. All right, measles is at, ever since, you know, measles was eradicated through vaccinations that were developed in 1957, right? Measles is back with a vengeance. Already this year, as of last Friday, there have been 704 cases of measles that have been reported in this country. And this is in the first four months of the year. That is more. You got to go back decades to find that many cases of measles. And we've already hit that number after four months. I think it is time to stop fooling around with the people who are the self-proclaimed anti-vaxxers and make it very, very clear that unless you've got a medical reason for it or unless you've got sincere religious objections, and I'm putting an asterisk there, your kids have to be vaccinated. And as far as the people that have the legitimate religious objections to it, the consequence of not vaccinating your children, I think, should be that the kids then, well, no public schools for the kids, and the kids essentially, you know, live a life in quasi-quarantine. Also, 
There's a Democrat out of Oshkosh. His name is Gordon Hintz. I don't d- agree on, with Gordon about much of anything. I think Gordon is one of those guys that if you want to figure out where you should be on an issue, you find out where he is, you go the other way, you'll probably be right. But this is one where we, we probably in our, our agreement with. He is pushing for legislation in Wisconsin, which would require any kid that goes to a public school to be vaccinated. And the only exceptions would be medical or legitimate religious. That is key because Wisconsin is one of 18 states right now that allows parents to opt out of vaccines simply because of their personal preference. All right. You, you can you can waive it by simply, well, we, we choose not to. We don't have a medical reason, don't have a religious reason, but we just don't want to. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I have seen this coming and preached about this for a couple years because we've seen the resurgence of this disease, and now it's hit big time. You have had outbreaks of measles in 13 separate states, 13 separate states. 500 of the 700-plus cases have been children um, who had not been vaccinated. 66 people hospitalized, and the vast majority are kids under the age of five. I think it is just purely irresponsible. Again, absent a valid medical reason or absent a legitimate religious objection. And by the way, there's not too many mainstream religions anymore that tell you you shouldn't have your children vaccinated because, in my opinion, that's just the dumb position to take. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. People, and you're not seeing this in Wisconsin yet, but mark my words, it's going to happen here. And the problem partially is that measles is so very contagious and people can be carriers of measles for a week or two before they actually have the measles pop out. So what happens is imagine if you are on an airplane, you know, you're flying somewhere and you've got your infant child with you and the child is too young to have been vaccinated or you've got your kid that's undergoing cancer treatment or something like that, so he can't be vaccinated, and you have some kid four rows back who's just, you know, coughing up a lung and putting all those particles in the air that linger for hours, and it turns out that the kid comes down with measles. Well, all right, they have put your child at risk. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I think... You know, the debate now has to shift to the next level. Medical science says these vaccinations are safe. The measles outbreak is returning in a big way. I think Wisconsin needs to get ahead of the game. And this idea that we are allowing people to opt out of the measles vaccine, essentially because they don't feel like it, I think is nothing short of crazy. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Look, and I understand that even if everybody in the United States got vaccinated, 
you you still is it possible you could have a you could have measles sure somebody who could come could come into this country who hadn't been vaccinated and you know come into contact with some infant I, I understand that it's possible but the bottom line is this disease had essentially gone away over my lifetime and now it's back it's back with a vengeance and it's back because you have a certain percentage of people who've decided well we we just we don't care what medical science says we're just not going to do it and they are in Endangering everybody. 414-799-1620. Karen in Appleton. Karen, you're on WTMJ. Hi. I have several views on this. One of them being, I don't think people that have not been vaccinated should be allowed of their, out of their homes. Why should we, who have vaccinated ourselves, go out in public and be exposed to the measles? We've taken care of our responsibility to ourselves and to others. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, theoretically, if you've been vaccinated, you are protected. Although, I I don't know if you're, you know, the vaccinations came out in 1957. So if you were vaccinated, you know, as a kid, if you were born in 57 or later, theoretically, you've had your vaccinations. But, you know, who knows if that's still good, you know, 50, 60 years later. But also, theoretically, I can't even say In theory, I got it. Theoretically. In, in theory, once you have the measles, you can also maybe get them again. In As theory. An yeah. older American, tax-paying American. Yeah, you don't want to be exposed to it. Civil, exactly. Yeah, I right. question. Right, no, exactly. Right. Thanks to call. I mean, I, look, they, they say, okay, the measles vaccine was developed in 1957, and people who were born after, they, they say before 1957, they assume that you had the measles. Um, after 1957, you had the vaccinations. But I, I don't. I don't know. I'm sure I had. I have never had the measles. I had the vaccinations. Now they give you two. I, I used to just. I just had one. I do. Do I want to be exposed to that and take a chance? Whether that vaccination that I got when I was three years old is still good? No, I. I, I don't. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to mess with this. But especially when I think of you know the people. For whom, look, I understand for a lot of people, the measles is just an uncomfortable childhood disease. I I get that. And you're sick as a dog and you're miserable and then you get over it and there's no long term effects. Okay, that that's most people. But but that's not everybody. And especially in older people, it can lead to things like pneumonia. If you have people that have compromised immune systems, the people who can't legitimately get the the measles vaccination, well, I mean, of any age, you know, if you're somebody, you're getting cancer treatments or whatever, you know, or, again, you've got that compromised immune system, so you don't have that vaccination. I mean, essentially, we wouldn't send a kid to school with a loaded handgun. Well, you know, somebody who might be carrying the measles for that person with the compromised immune system or that kid that's getting cancer treatment or whatever, sending an unvaccinated student who child who may have been exposed to the measles measles into into classrooms, that's that is the equivalent of sending a kid to school with a loaded handgun. And we don't let that happen. Wyatt on the south side. Wyatt, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um I'm all for less government. I mean I think that's the way we should be, but yep. in this one case this is where government needs to step in and basically force people to get vaccinations. We don't want to turn into a third world country again. 
Well, yes. Or or if you're going to refuse to do that, then essentially you're you're going to live in a cave somewhere. You know, if, if that that's fine. If you're not going to have your child vaccinated. Um, and you don't have a medical reason for doing that, that's okay, then that that's fine, but then don't expose, that means no public shopping malls, no public schools, you know, just, just keep your kid in your house because we don't want to take that risk that he's going to make somebody else sick. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right, no, thanks for calling. I mean, I get, and I, look, I, I hate to be strident on this, but in, this has been coming for the last couple of years, and it seems to me like every month or two that the numbers just get worse and worse. And I, I, the, the, the amount of disinformation that's out there, I mean, here, here's, here's the text. Jeff, who says there is safe, who says these, these, the vaccinations are safe? The government? There are some shady claims on those vaccinations. You should do a little bit more research. I, I just, it, it's, it's texts like that that make me want to take my head, walk across to the wall that separates my producer from me, and just bang my head into the wall. You need to do a little more research. Okay, there, there, there are some things that there are legitimate questions about. I, I understand there are some things that, you know, you can debate about in medical science. And, and I understand that there's sometimes that there's be could be stuff that, you know, we thought was good for us that we're now told, okay, well, you, you shouldn't be drinking diet soda. Or, oh, diet soda's not so bad. Or red wine's horrible for you. No, red wine's okay. I understand that we bounce back and forth. But we are at a point now in society where unless you're out there on the fringe and I mean really on the fringe, the great weight, the overwhelming weight of medical authority, ranging from the Center for Disease Control to all the scientific papers, finds that that the current edition of the, the measles vaccine that they're giving is safe. All right, now, does that mean that there can't be an adverse reaction somewhere to somebody? Yeah, I understand that, but that's... Okay, that that's the the one in the ten million chance. That's the, gee, it it reminds me of the people who want to say, well, I don't wear seatbelts and I don't wear shoulder harnesses, and and the reason I do it is because I know somebody who knew somebody who had a boyfriend who had a cousin who knew somebody that was involved in an automobile accident, and they would have been dead if they had their seatbelt on. Okay, maybe there is that unicorn that's out there, but that's that's not what the numbers suggest. So this is one where I mean, don't tell me do my research. Okay, there there is a consensus here among medical authority that these vaccinations are safe. And you know what the evidence they have of it is? They've been given them since 1957. And I, I mean, I understand that there's the stuff that's out there. There's the Jenny McCarthy's of the world that go on television and say, well, my child is autistic and I'm convinced that it's because of the vaccinations with absolutely no evidence to support it at, at all. And I understand that there's some people who believe it, but I'm, I'm sorry. If you make this decision that you're not going to vaccinate your child, I think that's a bad decision. I think it's a bad decision for your child, but that's at least the decision you're making for your kid. But when your kid potentially becomes a carrier and then can infect somebody for whom measles isn't just a harmless sort of disease but could be life-threatening, that's when it becomes a societal problem. So 
Again, 700 cases already this year, and it's only April. Well, this was as of last Friday. So we're not even through the month of April. Who knows where these numbers are going to go? My guess is they're going to get a lot larger until collectively as a society, we step up and say enough is enough. One of the places, in my opinion, we could start is in Wisconsin by eliminating this exemption that says that, well, okay, you, you don't have to have your kid vaccinated if there's a medical reason, obviously. If you've got a legitimate religious reason, you don't have to have your child vaccinated. But the vast majority of opt-outs are people who just use the personal exemption. We don't feel like it. Time to do away with that one. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> So very glad to have you with us. Speaking of doctors and medical science, there's a real interesting story in the Wall Street Journal today. That it, it's not like it's a you know it's not like it's a it's a oh wow sort of thing or any sort of surprise. But when it comes to you know men and women, there there are differences. Some people don't like to acknowledge that, but the bottom line is guys are different than gals in certain respects. And one of those is the certain lifestyle thing. Women go to the doctor much more regularly than men do. And I think part of it is just because women do that and they're more likely to go in and get various things checked and stuff. Guys, we're, we're I don't want to say tougher. I want to say we're stupider because we, we don't go. You know, it's like, oh, I'll just rub some dirt on that and that's going to be that's going to be fine. And, yeah, I've got this particular issue and I've got that issue, but it'll go away. And so men don't. The, the number one factor in getting men to go to the doctor, by the way, it's the women in their lives. You know, it's OK. You've been limping for the last three days. You know, go. My, my wife, of course, is kind of on that other extreme. It's like I, I stand up slowly and she's like, oh, do your feet hurt? Do your ankles hurt? Do your knees hurt? And I'm like, honey, you know, everything. I, I walked I walked the golf course yesterday. Everything hurts. I'm sore. But, no, I don't need to go to the doctor for that. But the bottom line is, you know, this is one of the big challenges in medical science now is how do you get guys to go to the doctor? And they're trying to make it more friendly and appealing and you know don't worry women like i say you're there you're used to getting you know poked and prodded by the various doctors uh, us guys you know we we're, we're kind of sensitive to that we don't like it we think it's not masculine at all so a lot of these hospitals are like reaching out now and trying to make it comforting as they go after guys number one thing though that gets you to the doctor is i'm not going to say that the love of your life nagging you but suggesting strongly that hey it's time for that checkup you know go in you know get that blood work done do those things so story in the wall street journal today we're talking about how people should vaccinate their kids and for guys especially if you're listening to this program now i want you around listening to the program for a long time so all right if you've got that ache and pain go see the doctor make sure it's nothing too bad when we come back gee why should we have to close a bar at two o'clock in the morning welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj so very glad to have you with us. Okay, so I'm in Vegas a few weeks back with my my wife and I and uh, my sister-in-law, Ruth, and her husband, Ken. 
we were coming back on a Sunday morning. We had a flight that left about 7 a.m., which means that the Vegas airport Sunday mornings, even even stupid early, is is just it's a nightmare. I mean, that a lot of people are just trying to get out of town, so you, you got to always leave enough time. So I think we're leaving the hotel around five in the morning, which means you know we're up about four thirty or four fifteen. But we we were in fact up, you know. So as we are leaving the hotel. You know, coming down, I was staying at the MGM Grand. As you're as you're going down, you're walking, you know, toward the cab line and stuff. You see a lot of people who it's still it's five o'clock in the morning, and you you know they're not seeing the you're not seeing Sunday morning from the the going up side. Um, they they haven't gone to bed. The, the party has lasted all night, and the bars are open. In Vegas, you know, all these bars and these hotels they they don't close. They are open twenty four hours a day. You can get a drink any time of the day or night, and that's. One of the things that makes, again, Las Vegas, Las Vegas. Now, that is not me because, well, my days of staying up all night, I'm not sure if there were ever those days, but they are long since past. But, you know, if you want to get a drink at 4 o'clock in the morning, you can do that. Now, I bring this up because in Wisconsin, there is a state law which governs bar closing times. We, we referenced this the other day. Um, bar Now, bars don't have to stay open this long, but bars have to close under state law um, 2 a.m. Businesses that serve liquor have to be closed from 2 a.m., have to close at 2 a.m. Monday through Friday and can't open before 6, so they got to be closed at 2. Closing time is 2.30 on Saturday nights, um, no closing required on New Year's Eve. All right, so that, that's that's the deal. The Democratic National Convention is coming to Milwaukee next year, and there is a push. Matter of fact, the Business Journal has an interesting story about this. There is a push that is emerging which says during the Democratic National Convention, because those Democrats, they describe the Democratic National Convention as being the Vegas of politics, that these they, that the party doesn't even get started till about 1 o'clock in the morning. You know, I mean, it's because, you know, you got the convention activities, you get something to eat. You're not getting ready to settle down to hardcore partying until about one o'clock in the morning. And if the bars have to close at two, well, you're missing this this great opportunity because people will stay all out all night and they'll party and, and, and they'll drink. So there's a movement afoot which would essentially you know, change the state law or make an exception to allow the bars in Milwaukee, I would guess, or maybe the area, to stay open till 4 a.m. during the Democratic Convention. Now, let me say this. I support this. I, I think, you know, it, it makes sense. If you're if you're going to keep the bars open 24 hours on, on New Year's Eve, all right, I, I think this is a special occasion. I think it makes sense. You know, people are going to be doing this. You're going to have the extra cops. You're going to have extra security. It, you know, do this. I, I don't have a problem with this. But I want to talk about the larger issue, which is should we have close mandatory closing times a, at all? I mean, if if a bar owner thinks that there's enough business and wants to stay open 24 hours, should they have the right to do that? Now, before you roll your eyes, let me let me just offer some thoughts here. A lot of the problems, if you, if you talk to police, they will tell you that a lot of the problems they have is at closing time, where all of a sudden you have all these people who've been drinking all night who just 
rush out into the streets, et cetera, et cetera, and they're trying to figure out somewhere to go, and that leads to problems. Okay, that's issue number one. They will also tell you, and if you talk to bartenders, that's one of the things that you got these people, especially young people, that are out on a Saturday night or a Friday night, and, you know, it's one thirty, and you've got bar time that's coming up, and... You know, they decide, here, we've got to drink more. Let's, we, we haven't had enough to drink yet, so let's pound down a couple more drinks. Whereas if they didn't, if they weren't forced out at 2 o'clock or 2.30, maybe they might not drink as much. And from the perspective of, of problems, well, okay, you, you'd have it spread out over a period of time. Now, I'm not arguing that bars should should have to stay open, and my guess is the vast majority of bars would probably choose to close. My guess is a lot of bars close way before 2 o'clock, even in some of the, like the Water Street areas. You know, once once it kind of winds down, if there's not a lot of people in at 1 o'clock in the morning, you say last call, you close the doors, you go home, regardless of what the, the time is. But what about the idea of of no closing times at all? simply allowing the individual proprietor to decide. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I mean, do I support leaving the bars open till 4 o'clock during the Democratic National Convention? I do. But, you know, what about this broader question? Does it make sense to have closing times in general? And if you look at some of the problems that occur you know, with people, again, in the streets or trying to power drink before, you know, the bar closes, all right, might we avoid some of that? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And like I say, my guess is the vast majority of bars aren't going to have enough business to to stay open all night. And from the perspective of, okay, we're concerned about drunk driving and things like that, well, okay, the handful of bars that do stay open all night might be targets of opportunity for the police to kind of sit and watch people pull out of the parking lot and really crack down on drunk driving. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what do you think about bars being able to stay open all night? Should we become kind of like mini Las Vegas? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 38 degrees. So glad to have you with us on a rainy Tuesday afternoon. Christy in Milwaukee. Hi, Christy. Hi. What do you think? Yeah, I think the, you know, about clearing, it's about clearing the streets at 2 a.m. before everyone's getting up for their work day. Imagine being in morning traffic going to work and there's also 20 drunk people on the freeway with you. But I think it's okay, you know, on special, you know, special occasions like the DNC. Fine, let them stay open two more. Do Do you think there'd really be that many people? I see. I guess that's what I kind of wrestle with is how. Listen, I'm gonna tell you. I was a bartender yeah. off and on my whole life. I guarantee you, every night at closing, there's at least twenty drunk vehicles on the street. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't deny that. I, I guess do you. Do you think, though, staying open longer would lead to more drunks being on the road? Exactly. When people are leaving in the morning for work, at 5 a.m., people start leaving for work. And, yes, there are people that would 
stay out for three more hours and then get in their car during morning rush hour. Yeah, and, and be even drunker. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I guess that that's always kind of the the potential of this. I when I, when I first started practicing law, I worked. I was in resident law school. I was an intern at the U.S. Attorney's Office, which is the old federal building, five seventeen East Wisconsin Avenue. I told this new Mike story before. There used to be a bar. Right around the corner from the federal building. It was called New Mike's. Not Old Mike's. It was called New Mike's. It was also the closest bar to the, the downtown post office. And, 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 and all the, the third shift postal workers who would get off like at 545 in the morning, New Mike's opened at six o'clock and they would all be, they would be lined up outside, particularly like on whatever their, 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 their weekend was going to be. They would be lined up outside New Mike's at 6 a.m. waiting to get in. And I, you know, if I'm driving to work early, I'd see all these people and I'm thinking, oh, they're going to the bar. But of course, that was there six o'clock on a Friday night. Now, you, if you'd go in there at noon for lunch, you'd see some of the same guys that you saw lined up outside. And that was, of course, a bigger issue. 414-799-1620. I guess, see, I'm just not convinced. That, that leaving the bars open longer is going to dramatically lead to a, a lot more like drunk drivers. And I, I think certainly for the Democratic National Convention, um, again, if we're bringing people here to create a party atmosphere, a lot of folks are going to be taking cabs or Ubers or, or whatever. It's one week. I would say try it out, and then you know maybe if the experience is good, maybe that's an ev- that's evidence that you know you can you can expand it to four a.m. or you can just leave the things open all the time and let the free market kind of decide. Rick in New Berlin, Rick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, it's a good idea and a bad idea. I was a bar owner, club nightclub owner. Uh, New Year's Eve was always kind of touchy, right? Uh, I always think maybe they should do that on the weekends, every Friday, Saturday night, and and they're going to run this for a whole week, like a workday week. Like, yeah. I'm not really sure when the D and when is that coming? Is that a weekend or a whole week? It's a whole week. You know, it, it yeah. wraps up. It would it would start on like well, it's actually people start probably coming in on like a Friday and a Saturday, and then it runs through the next Thursday. So, but it, I mean, I think officially it would kick off on that Monday, so it'd be weekdays on the Monday. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say no, uh, just for the reason weekend maybe, but not during the week. That's oh, okay. Just a little bit too much. Too much. What do you mean when you say too much? Just a little bit too many people. You know, who knows where they got to go? You know, okay. that's the hotel thing, and the, you know, so if they maybe they're gonna Uber it or, or cab it or even walk. Well, okay, fine, but right. I bet you there'll be problems if that does go. Huh. Interesting. Thanks. So I guess I'm just wondering again. I. Oh, look, my it it doesn't matter to me whether closing time is two a.m. or four a.m. or six a.m. or like it's Las Vegas and they never close. It, that that is not a factor to me because how late the bar stays open doesn't influence when I get to, when I go to bed. I go to bed when I am tired and I have had enough, and typically. I, I, I grew. I'm embarrassed to admit how early that probably comes nowadays. It's kind of like, oh, you know, okay, we we had dinner, we saw the show, played a little blackjack, played a little video poker. I really don't need any more liquor here. Time to go to bed. Oh, it's only ten thirty. Well, that's okay. It's ten thirty. I made it to ten thirty for goodness sakes. Then you start equating it. Well, you know, there's a two hour time difference, so it's twelve thirty at home. I made it to twelve thirty. So, I, I mean, I guess. I think for special occasions, it's certainly worth it. And I, 
I'm just not convinced it would lead to that much more carnage on the road, in part because my guess is the vast majority of bar owners, if we're talking about not the Democratic National Convention for one week, but if we're talking about you know overall day in, day out, my guess is there's not enough business to support you know keeping places open all night, at least the vast majority of places. I, my guess is you know now, like I say, there's a lot of bars that close before bar time because people just go home. Steve in Green Bay. Hi, Steve. You're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. What do you think? I, I think it's a good idea. I, yeah. I don't see an issue with it. As I tell your screener, I remember back in when we were young and dumb <laughs> and stupid, rushing from one bar when it was going to close to another pizza place that allowed you to buy a, a pitcher of mixed drinks before right. it closed. <laughs> right. And the other thing is, too, you know, I, I work shift work off and on and paper mills and things like that. And for people to get off at 11 o'clock at night or, or midnight, yeah, yeah, they should have the opportunity to, you know, to drink for a while. I think if people really want to get serious about keeping drunks off the road, let's look at making the first or the second offense a felony instead right. of six or seven or whatever it is now. Well, you know, you, ra- yeah, I mean, you raise an interesting point about about the, the second shift workers, and it kind of ties into what I was talking about earlier about, like, the, the third shift people who started drinking at six in the morning, but it's because it was their six at night. But, you know... I mean, let's say you're working second shift and you get off of work at 11.45 or 12. You, you clean up. You're, you're, you want to meet some friends or something, you know, and, and it's already pushing 12.30 or 1 o'clock in the morning. I, I think, you know, first of all, there, there's a tendency maybe to, to kind of power drink if you know you've only got an hour, whereas maybe if there wasn't a rush, you could sit and relax. I mean, nobody looks at somebody that gets off of work at 5 and is having a couple beers at 8 as being a problem. You know, second shifter gets off at midnight. You get to the bar by 12.30. Okay, 3 o'clock. That, that's your 8 o'clock at night for somebody that yeah. works, you know, for shift. The, the only problem I remember when we were first married, when I get done at 6 in the morning and try to convince my wife with that argument, okay, so can you go to the bar at 10 o'clock in the morning? You need to go to the bar first thing in the morning. Well, I just well, worked all night. Yeah, well, I can't help you with that one, my friend. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, that's 40 years, yeah, so I think we're okay. Yeah, thanks to God. You're, you're, you're kind of on your, your own with that one. And I, I had one summer job once and where I worked third shift, and I, I couldn't get used to it. I actually, I used to like second shift. I did that in the summers once or twice. I used to kind of like that because... You know, you'd get off, and I think we got off like around 11.15 or 11.30, and you could kind of, you, you could go out, you could meet your friends for an hour or two, or you could go home, and I like to play golf, so you could play golf before you, you went to work. I, I, I like second shift, could never, ever get used to third shift, because by the time, you know, 6 a.m. rolled around, I, I wasn't thinking, gee, I want to go have a beer. I was thinking, I just want to go crash. Um, but in any event, I, I think the state legislature should look at this, maybe on a trial basis, certainly for the Democrats. Democratic National Convention, allow the bars to stay open to four. But but think about the bigger picture, which is, all right, do we really need closing times? And um, maybe some of these concerns that some of you have raised are, are legitimate. Maybe it would lead to more drunks on the road and things like that. I'm not necessarily convinced. I think you could make an argument that it might lead to less problems if you didn't have everybody tossed out of bars at the same time. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure and Melissa Barkley have on their minds. I think they and Greg, I think everybody's down, um, they're on the road. They're at Fiserv Forum. So we'll check in, see what the weather's like there as the Bucks go for what really probably is a must-win game. Stick around. It's 254. This is Jeff Wagner.